Welcome to Holy Smoke, the Spectator's Religion podcast. I'm Damien Thompson. The Catholic Church is reeling from its most significant sex abuse scandal for many years. Cardinal Theodore McCarrick, retired Archbishop of Washington, D.C., and one of the most influential networkers in the worldwide church, has been suspended from ministry following a wave of detailed allegations that he molested seminarians. The first complaint against him goes back nearly a quarter of a century, and is now accused of grooming and molesting a teenage boy. These stories have been broken by the New York Times, which has had a fat dossier on McCarrick for years. Suddenly we're hearing that everyone knew priests and seminarians in Washington, and before that, Newark, where McCarrick was also Archbishop. The Newark Archdiocese had to pay out money to adults claiming they'd been his victims. Also, the Vatican under John Paul II knew much of this and still gave him the top job in Washington. So why was he promoted? Why has no American bishop breathed a word about McCarrick until now? I'm joined by Dr. Ed Comden, Washington editor of the Catholic News Agency, who's also a canon lawyer. Ed, even for those of us familiar with this sort of corruption, this particular conspiracy of silence beggars belief. Well, the scale of the allegations is hard to read almost because they continue to grow. The allegations of child sexual abuse are devastating. It's hard to imagine anything worse than systematically grooming and abusing over a period of years the child of a family friend, which is what he's accused of. Added to that, the persistent allegations, which Rome seems to have been informed of years ago, that he was preying on seminarians while he was an active bishop, really call into question his entire governance of two of the largest archdioceses on the East Coast. At the same time, McCarrick was such a prominent figure in the American church that his reputation and connections and friendships go everywhere. I mean, you would be very hard-pressed to find any prominent person in the American church who doesn't have a photograph with McCarrick's arm around them. He's that central to the hierarchy and has been for decades. And what have they said? For example, Cardinal Kevin Farrell, now the head of the Vatican Office for Laity and Family, was McCarrick's vicar general in Washington and his flatmate, a man so proud of his close association with McCarrick that he incorporated a tribute to him in his coat of arms. So the response from most of the bishops who have commented, and it's fair to note that many American bishops and cardinals haven't commented at all on this scandal and don't seem to want to have any part of it even now. But those that have commented on it insist that they never knew anything, they never suspected, um, they had no idea. Now, given how prevalent the rumors about Cardinal McCarrick and his behavior, particularly towards seminarians, was uh, at the level of the presbyterate in the diocese that he led, that's either an indication that American bishops are unbelievably insulated from what their own priests are talking about and know, or it becomes difficult to maintain that they didn't know or hear anything ever. That seems like an increasingly difficult thing for them to say with a straight face. Now, Cardinal Farrell, who until the McCarrick allegations broke, I think would have happily described himself as a protege of Cardinal McCarrick, has said very definitively that he never knew, he never suspected, he's shocked by all of this. But he did also share a flat with Cardinal McCarrick for a number of years in Washington. It's difficult to figure out how Cardinal Farrell's statement and 
the persistent rumors around the Archdiocese of Washington can both be equally true. Either the rumors must be exaggerated after the fact, or Cardinal Farrell must have had some inkling. Really, at this point, there's no way to tell, but it seems clear, given the way that allegations continue to emerge against Cardinal McCarrick, that they probably will continue to do so. And as we get a better sense of what was going on in the diocese while he was leading it, it will become clearer to what extent bishops and cardinals denying they'd ever heard anything can be tenable. Um, Perhaps it will become clear who's lying. I mean, we know beyond any doubt that the church as an institution was warned that Cardinal McCarrick, who asked his victims to call him Uncle Ted, was a predator. Indeed, it already paid out money to two adult complainants before he got his big job in Washington. This is a real problem. There's at least one priest, Father Boniface Ramsey, who serves has served for many years in the Archdiocese of New York, where Cardinal McCarrick was originally from, who says that he made a complaint at the beginning of, at the turn of the millennium, more or less, to the Apostolic Nuncio in Washington, D.C., when Cardinal McCarrick was first appointed from Newark to lead the Archdiocese of Washington. And he says that the Nuncio instructed him in no uncertain terms to put it in writing and send it to him, which he did. Now, no one knows where that letter ended up. No one knows what action, if any, was taken. No one knows if that letter made it to Rome. And if it did, what office in Rome? Who read it? What happened to it? We don't know. We do know that some years later, five years ago, the same priest was attending the funeral of Cardinal Egan of New York, and he saw Cardinal McCarrick there. At this point, Cardinal McCarrick was retired, but still pretty much a a free-range cardinal and a very prominent person in the church still. And he was disturbed to see someone who he'd heard all of these allegations concerning serial harassment and assault of seminarians still at large. And so he sent a letter to Cardinal O'Malley of Boston, who is the Pope's president for the Pontifical Commission for the Protection of Minors and charged with sort of leading the great cultural change around sexual abuse in the church. And he received a reply from the Cardinal's secretary basically saying, this doesn't concern the sexual abuse of minors. The Pontifical Commission for the Protection of Minors isn't a a body charged with investigating or prosecuting allegations, and the allegations that you outline don't concern the Archdiocese of Boston, so it doesn't fall under Cardinal Malley's purview, but thank you very much for writing. This is the pattern of the same priest raising serious allegations to two senior officials in the church, and no action was taken. In the case of Cardinal O'Malley's response, which he detailed in a release on press release on Tuesday, he said that, you know, he underscored that he personally didn't receive the letter. He didn't see it. He was unaware of it. It was dealt with at the staff level, which is fine and fair enough in terms of the process. And really, that was the correct way for the letter to be handled in technical terms. But given that Cardinal O'Malley also, in his statement on Tuesday, suggested that what the church needs is to address a glaring procedural gap. It seems a bit much for him to say that, well, it's the process that I'm insulated from in this case and I couldn't have done anything because process is process, and then say that more process is the answer. What none of the bishops in America seem to be doing or be willing to do or have done with regard to Cardinal McCarrick is take some personal responsibility and be their brother's keeper. Everyone seems to take a very firm line with allegations against priests in their diocese, men who are under their authority, but when it comes to their peers, everyone looks the other way. And what about the Pope? I mean, can we trust him? He, he was warned about a serial priest's predator in Chile and the bishops protecting him. And he went ahead and, despite being told not to, promoted one of those Chilean bishops, Bishop Barros. Well, there are a couple of issues there. The first is that the Pope did suffer a serious media firestorm following the Chilean abuse crisis. It, there do appear to be 
credible reports that the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith was aware of allegations against Bishop Barris at the time of his appointment, and that these allegations were either dismissed, not taken seriously, not acted on, and he was appointed anyway. Um, Juan Carlos Cruz, who was one of the victims of the predator Father Cadima and led the sort of presentation of the allegations of victims in Chile to the Pope and more widely in the media, says that he handed a letter along with other victims to Cardinal O'Malley, who undertook to deliver it to the Pope, and he says that Cardinal O'Malley later told him that he did so. Now, it's not clear whether Cardinal O'Malley delivered the letter to, into the Pope's own hand or whether it was, again, dealt with at the staff level. We don't know. But it does seem like there's a worrying trend of allegations being presented to senior church officials, and then these, then no action is taken, either because it's not, strictly speaking, their problem or not their department, or the letter gets lost or things end up in a drawer. And that's a real problem. And that's not something new processes are going to fix. That's a cultural issue, that there needs to be an acceptance, particularly at the level of bishops, that there's a moral obligation, a clear and obvious moral obligation on bishops to act on any accusation they hear. Now, that's not to say they need to immediately go to the press and make firm statements against their brother bishops on the basis of simple allegations, but it is morally incumbent on them to see that those allegations are dealt with by the appropriate authorities, not for victims to have to figure out who the right person is to go to and to keep presenting their allegations over and over again until someone says, oh, okay, this is my problem. But Francis was supposed to be clearing all this up. I mean, that, that's why he was elected, one of the reasons he was elected. But now, with scandals breaking right, left, and centre, it looks as if he's done nothing. Well, I don't know that it's fair to say he's done nothing. He has made a number of very high-level and prominent institutional legal changes. The Pontifical Commission for the Protection of Minors is something he created. Uh, it needs to do more, and it's, it, I, I, if you ask me, I think it needs to be given much more teeth because it's lost a lot of prominent lay members who are themselves abuse survivors saying that it, it's devolved into a talking shop. In addition, he's released a number of documents and legal changes specifically addressing removing bishops for negligence and handling of sexual abuse cases, which is really what has caused the wider scandal in Chile. is not so much the number of abuser priests, although that's very high and devastating in itself, but the level to which Bishop seems to have ignored it or covered it up. The results of Archbishop Shikluna's visitation there were pretty damning. Again, it's not that the Pope has done nothing. He's made some serious legal changes. He's brought in new processes. He's given the CDF and other Vatican departments new powers to, to handle accusations made against bishops. The problem is that these aren't being used. The thing is, you can make all the changes to the process and the law that you want, but if bishops and officials aren't actually using them, you're never going to get anywhere. Regarding the Pope's handling of allegations that he himself has received, there have been some serious missteps. The appointment of Bishop Barros in Chile was one of them, and he very publicly took responsibility for the mistakes he made there. There were other instances involving priests who were initially removed from ministry and then restored and then removed again. And I think one thing that redounds to the Pope's credit is that he has very publicly said that he's on a learning curve in dealing with this, but he does seem to be taking it very seriously and increasingly seriously. One thing that I've heard coming out of several different Roman departments is that allegations against bishops, while there is an existing legal mechanism, and when they concern sexual abuse, they are to be handled by the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith. Pope is actually taking them all to himself personally. They're now on his desk, and he is handling them in his own name. He's not allowing them to be handled by officials or other processes. Now, that raises the question of what's the point of having a process if you're not going to use it. But on the other hand, the Pope is tying himself very personally and very directly to the handling of allegations made against bishops. 
And that is taking personal responsibility, which a lot of people have said is exactly the problem with the American hierarchy's response to the McCarrick scandal, which is no one's taking personal responsibility. But the Pope is. Well, he's being forced to take responsibility because he's been embarrassed into it. What I would say about Pope Francis taking personal responsibility for all of these cases involving bishops, and this includes McCarrick, Pineda in Honduras, and other, other cases that are currently making their way through Rome, is that he will be judged very personally by the outcome of these. His credibility is on the line. Well, some people would say his credibility is already shot to pieces. I'll take, take just two examples. Francis invited to a synod on the family... Cardinal Danils, who'd already been caught covering up child abuse, and Francis knew that. Then there's Cardinal Maradiaga of Honduras, one of the Pope's left-wing ideological allies and senior advisers. Cardinal Maradiaga's not only facing serious allegations of financial corruption himself, but was the protector of his auxiliary bishop Pineda. Pineda, accused of preying on seminarians and massive financial wrongdoing, who's just had his resignation finally accepted by the Pope, coincidentally just after the McCarrick scandal broke. Maridiaga's being investigated about money, but even before that investigation started, Francis rang him to say he was in the clear and he was sorry people were telling lies about him. And we're supposed to be reassured that the Pope is handling accusations against bishops personally? Well, this, I think, is a legitimate criticism of Pope Francis, and it was something that, I mean, that, that's a microcosm of what happened with the Bishop Barros scandal, which is that the Pope initially sided with the bishop and said, I'm sorry that, you know, there are lies being told. And then following an investigation, following the media outcry, backtracked and took the accusations very seriously, and in this case, acted to remove Barros, and, and I think it's now five bishops in Chile and counting that have been removed. And I think it does give us a glimpse of Francis's character, and it is working against him, that his initial sympathy seems to be to trust the people that he knows and to, not, and to find it difficult to accept allegations made against them. The, I'd say the real problem that Pope Francis faces is there's only so many places that Archbishop Shikluna can be sent, and there's only so many investigations he can do at once. We're now looking at Chile, Honduras, the United States. The contagion is spreading, and firm action is needed but it's not enough to say well i'm going to deal with it all myself and i have one very credible archbishop who runs these investigations who by the way has an archdiocese of his own he's supposed to be running it seems clear that there needs to be a much more direct engagement and public and transparent way of handling these allegations wouldn't the pope find himself under more pressure to act if with the exception of the new york times the mainstream media were covering these scandals properly instead of giving Francis an easy ride because he makes liberal noises about immigration and climate change. And if his hagiographers in the Catholic press weren't trying to insulate him from these scandals and also failing to confront American bishops with really tough questions. I have some sympathy with Catholic journalists being one of them in the handling of this because I mean, I'm not exempt from uh, having heard things about, for example, Cardinal McCarrick long before they were exposed. The problem facing some Catholic journalists is not that they don't hear about these things, but no one will speak. And the reason they don't speak is because they know they won't get any support from the bishop, their local bishop, whoever that might be, if they do speak. It seems pretty clear at this point 
that if you're a priest or a seminarian with an allegation to make against a bishop, the only hearing you're likely to get is if you go to the media and it becomes public and you're willing to go on the record and stick your neck out. But if these things are done privately, there's no support available, or at least there's the fear that there will be no support and even pressure against you if you do. Ed, you tweeted this week that while certain bishops were happy to throw ordinary priests under a bus at the merest suggestion of wrongdoing, now they're facing their own allegations, they're closing ranks. I don't think that they're closing ranks. I think that they're looking the other way. It's, it's an interesting thing, and I, abs- I did say that, or words to that effect, and I do stand by it. For example, Cardinal O'Malley, who's, who's seen as the credible voice of the church in dealing with sexual abuse allegations, and for good reason. He cleaned up first the Diocese of Palm Beach in Florida, and then more recently and most famously in Boston, where he went into situations where the Archdiocese was in chaos, and he's imposed order, and he's dealt very unflinchingly with accusations against priests in his dioceses. But the difference between a bishop taking firm action against priests under their authority and bishops even acknowledging clear and public allegations against one of their peers is, is really quite public and shameful. And it's, it's come out that it's even institutional. There was a report from the Catholic News Agency pointing out that when the Dallas Charter, which is passed in 2002 and sort of outlined new and stricter policies for handling accusations of sexual abuse against priests in the United States was approved. It originally said clerics, and this would have included deacons, priests, and bishops. And then it was changed to say priests and deacons. It was very deliberately amended to omit bishops from the process. At the time, it was said that this was because as a bishop's conference, they didn't have the authority to legislate concerning bishops and that had to come from Rome and everything else. But nevertheless, it's a pretty staggering indication that no one wants to take action against one of their brother bishops. Now, I think in some cases, there's the concern that bishops don't want to throw stones because they're never quite sure how much glass is in their own house. But wasn't that Dallas Charter drawn up by one Theodore McCarrick? He was absolutely centrally involved and spoke very publicly at the meetings drawing it up and afterwards. He made some very powerful statements about the iniquity of sexual abuse and the necessity of real strong and decisive action to stamp it out in the church. And the accusations made against him now really, I think, attack the credibility of the charter itself, which is a terrible shame because a lot of good has resulted from it. So to put it bluntly, the U.S. Bishop's sex abuse guidelines, which mysteriously left bishops out of the equation, were drawn up by the disgraced Cardinal McCarrick, now accused not just of molesting seminarians, but also of paedophilia. They were absolutely drawn up by Cardinal McCarrick, who played a very prominent role, and in the light of the accusations he's facing and the apparent credibility of at least one of them by, the, by a, an approved church investigation, that's pretty damning. Ed Condon, thanks very much.